Bashful Guys Podcast, episode 15. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Join Tyler and his team as they unlock the secrets to achieving financial independence through wealth-building strategies inspired by Robert Kiyosaki and other thought-provoking leaders. Learn to build leveraged streams of cash flow that land in your pocket and improve your quality of life. Gain access to cutting-edge ideas that will increase your productivity and streamline your success. Find out how to supercharge your retirement plan so you won't have to retire with a pay cut. You can escape the rat race. Are you ready? It's time to Learn to Earn with Tyler Chef. Welcome, everybody, to the Cashflow Guys podcast. We have arrived at episode 15, and I am fired up as usual. I am here today with a good friend of mine. He's also, we consider him a dear member of the Cashflow Guys team, Frank Cotto. He's the president of Lincoln Lending. Frank, are you with me? I am with you, Tyler. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good day. Good morning, sir. This is Frank hasn't been on podcast before. This is his first thing, but Frank is also a radio show host. I was actually on his show last week, uh, earlier this week. He does a Sunday morning show, bright and early, which we'll talk about towards the end of the show. But Frank is, the, like I said, Frank is the president of uh, Lincoln Lending. He is the cash flow guy's preferred lender. Whether you're a homeowner, you're going to own or occupy the property, or you're an investor, you need money. If it's not a deal that I'm going to, the cash flow guys are going to invest in, you need institutional financing or private financing. Here's your guy, folks. So we're going to talk about that as through this show, and you'll get an opportunity to learn from Frank and learn how to contact Frank, more importantly. Now, Frank has been in the real estate industry now for over 16 years, and ironically, so have I. We have exactly the same amount of years of experience. He, like I, has survived the housing crash of 2007-2008 and is well-positioned to survive the next one. Guys, that's why I how I choose my vendors is, are they going to be here if something goes wrong, when the economy starts to tank, are they b building a business for today or are they building a business to last to tomorrow? Lincoln Lending is one of those companies, and I'm proud to have them on the show. Frank, tell our listeners what makes Lincoln Lending different from other lenders. Well, what makes Lincoln Lending different from other lenders, and, and it's funny you bring that up because on the radio, I like to use uh, the tagline that was given to me uh, by one of our dear friends, Kevin, at Insured Title. Uh, he said, you know, you might need a bank or you definitely need a bank, but you absolutely need a Frank. And, and the reason that we say that uh, is because banks, their lending abilities stop at a certain level. You know, you go into the bank, you make application, and, and they tell you, I'm sorry, you know, you need a 620 credit score or you need 20% down, you need this or that. At Lincoln Lending Group, we have pretty much every product that's available nationwide uh, for any type of buyer, whether it's uh, residential, primary residence, second home, uh, investment properties, you name it. We have every program that you can imagine, including private money and subprime, which I'm sure we're going to talk about later in the podcast, uh, where you don't necessarily have to prove your income through traditional means. We can do bank statement programs, stated income programs for certain types of individuals, all kinds of exciting products that the bank is not going to offer you. That's awesome. Now, Frank, what we teach people here at the Cashflow Guys, as I'm sure you well know, because you've been to some of our Cashflow events, is to start with a plan you got to sit down and you got to build that plan. And part of that plan is putting together a solid team. And that's what we've done. And that's why we've been successful at Cashflow Guys, myself, my team. We've 
we've done very, very well because we've put together a team, you know, the attorneys, the lenders, the title company, the right people plugged in. So no matter what opportunity comes before us, we're able to capitalize on that opportunity if the deal makes sense. So please tell my listeners, what are some of the, you know, investors are always looking for additional sources of capital. There's lots of people out there offering capital. There are all these ads on Facebook going, we'll give your business $5 million if you're an LLC with a tax ID number, which makes me shudder because I have people call me from time to time and say, well, Tyler, I gave all my information to this guy and I haven't heard from him since, but now I'm getting all these credit cards in the mail and I'm going, oh, here we go. What kind of, give us some pointers that a beginning investor can use starting out to best position themselves to qualify for investor mortgages. I'm talking about the institutional product here, the investor mortgages for long-term hold. Yeah, what Tyler's talking about is, is basically the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac programs. Those are the two programs, your standard conventional loans, that are going to in, allow investors to purchase real estate. Now, these loans are, are not set up uh, for people who want to get in and out. You know, our, our goal here is long-term hold. Uh, these are going to be 30-year fixed, 15-year fixed, 20-year fixed mortgages. When you're talking Fannie Mae, it's become somewhat of a bad word, and that's only because uh, the regulations have gotten a little bit tighter in recent, uh, recent years here. You do have to prove your income. You need to be ready, at least on the Fannie Mae program, to prove two years of income and employment. Uh, we're usually going to ask for tax returns, and, unless you know, you're a straight W-2 job. There are occasions when we don't need those, uh, but we need tax returns, W-2s, 1099s, Pay stubs. As you need the whole kitchen sink if you're going to go with a Fannie Mae program. Now, the benefit to doing that and to providing this documentation is that you're going to get the best terms possible. And what I mean best terms, your rates are going to be great. You know, probably, uh, let me think of the last one we did was around uh, 46 to 4.7%, 30-year fixed. Um, that's wow. a great rate for an investment, right? I'd great say. rate for that. Yeah, that's outstanding. Um, down payment, you're, you're usually looking around... Uh, 20%. That's going to be your minimum with Fannie Mae. Uh, a lot of people like to ask the question, you know, can a seller cover closing, uh, not closing costs, they can always do that, but can a seller uh, hold a second mortgage? Fannie Mae did change the guidelines recently, and they do not allow uh, sellers to hold second mortgages uh, behind their loans. The Fannie Mae has a guideline that says what the maximum combined loan to value is on any particular program, and uh, regardless if it's investment or primary or second home, you can't exceed that threshold. So with Fannie Mae, 20% down is going to be your minimum down payment. And, of course, depending on the property type, if it's, for instance, a duplex, quadplex, triplex, something like that, they might ask you to put down an extra 5%, maybe 25%. But that's usually the absolute maximum uh, okay. you would ever need down. All right. Well, that makes sense. You know, one of the things, and our listeners know this, one of the business models that we teach at our workshops is the buy, fix, occupy, and then rent out method. It's what... It's what I've done uh, in real life, and that's what I like other people to do as well. It's it's a great product. It's a great plan that allows people to start slow, learn while they earn. That's our hashtag. You know, that's our our tagline is learn to earn. This plan allows you our our investors that have been on this program to add one property a year at a minimum to their investment while they enjoy a low down payment from either FHA or VA. And and Frank, you know, I'm a veteran, and I'm big proponent of helping veterans get started in real estate investing. Obviously, I'll help non-veterans as well, uh, but my focus is veterans. I like to work with veterans, especially those that are still in the service, to help them get started. Uh, that's part of the reason why we don't charge for our services, but many of our clients, especially my veterans, have limited funds to invest. You know, They don't have huge down payments. They don't have thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000, so some of the 
owner-occupant FHA or VA products make sense for them. They're going to owner-occupy. They want to build wealth. They want to get out of the rat race. They're willing to invest the 10, 15 years it takes. What strategies can an investor use to seek assistance with closing costs or the down payment required when they're occupying the home? In other words, on an owner-occupant product, I'm going to go buy the $50,000, $60,000 rental house. What type of uh, products are available? What's out there as far as assistance with closing costs and down payments for these people? Yeah, that's a, that is a great strategy, Tyler. I've used that strategy myself, and, and I absolutely the same as you. I would recommend it to anyone. Um, basically, what you're going to do is you're going to buy a property as, for instance, a primary residence, and you're going to legitimately live in it for a period of time. That, that's the key here is, is you do not want to uh, defraud Fannie Mae. Nowadays, they make you uh, sign documents that say that the FBI looks into uh, mortgage fraud, so we got to be clear that yeah. you know, when you're doing this, you're buying it to legitimately live in for usually a year, which is good. And it's also, like we can get into later, maybe some of the benefits of, of with taxes on uh, short-term gains versus long-term gains. But uh, that's a good side benefit to, to doing what you're talking about. You buy it as a primary residence. You live in it for a year. You fix it up. Uh, you realize some appreciation with the market. And then you turn around and you sell it. And, and you've accomplished two goals. You, you're going to get better financing. And when I mean better financing, uh, you're going to have a lower down, pay, down payment a lower interest rate, and there's going to be a heck of a lot more programs available to you. Um, but at the same time, you can take advantage of seller-covered closing costs, uh, and you're going to get a much lower interest rate. People don't realize that, that there's a big difference in an investment rate uh, compared to a primary residence rate. Uh, Just, uh, okay. for example, probably about a point. Yeah. Big, a big difference. See, I keep forget, uh, I forget that from time to time. And, of course, every time we, we I bring a client to you and they come back, I'm, I'm when I do a cash flow analysis, I'm always figuring that, you know, their numbers at 7%, and then you come back with something like 4 or 3.5% yeah. I've had you do. It's like, what? It, okay, well, That's cool. Exactly right. Exactly but, right. If you're going into a government program, you're going to be in the mid uh, to high threes. The VA program, you know, you're a veteran, my father's a veteran, my grandfather's a veteran. We are huge veteran supporters over here. Uh, veteran loans are the best loans ever created. No mortgage insurance. 100% financing. If you don't know what mortgage insurance is, that's PMI, private mortgage insurance. That's what you pay to protect the lender, not to pet, protect you if you don't put down 20%. Um, but for instance, on the VA loan, 100% financing, no down payment whatsoever, no mortgage insurance, incredible interest rates in the threes. Um, and after that, uh, you can have the seller cover your closing costs. So we've actually had veterans, and, and this happens a lot. Uh, we have veterans that uh, go into contract, let's say, for a $200,000 property. The seller covers the closing costs. Of course, Lincoln Lending doesn't charge any fees, and we can talk about that later as well. But uh, seller covers the closing costs. The veteran puts down $1,000 on the property, and when he gets to closing, he gets back his $1,000 deposit because he got a 100% loan, and the seller covered all the costs. That's exactly what I did with my fourplex. To Perfect, the, right? To the letter. And that's, you know, people say, how are you cash flowing $1,800? You're 100% leveraged. I'm netting $1,800 profit off this fourplex. None of my own money yeah. in the deal. Not a penny. Nothing. That's nothing. right. And all you did was buy that property legitimately as your primary residence. You fixed it up. You held on to it. And when the time was right, maybe a year or so later, you sold it. And then you move into another property. Exactly. Now, you said something important there I want to talk about right now. And you want to wait till later in the show. No fees. And this is what freaks people out. Now, people come to our, our workshops and they're going, I don't, where's the catch? There's no run to the back of the room for a credit card. I go on your website, there's no place to put a credit card number. 
Frank, I want to know, I'm going to ask you the same question that I know a lot of my clients have in their head. They figure out that, of course, if they're going to buy real estate, they're probably going to buy it for me considering I'm the one that taught them to buy it in the first place. Frank, how do you make it with no fees? How do you do that? Very, very good question. I'll explain to, to how everybody, how the banks make money and how we make money. So in, in mortgages, there's two different ways that you're going to make money on your client. Uh, the first way is the way that we don't do, and that's charge people. Literally, you walk in to the bank, and they're going to charge you an administration fee for eight ninety five, a processing fee for four ninety five. Uh, that's not even talking points, guys. Everybody knows what a point is, 1% of whatever you borrow. That's the typical term in our industry. I have not charged a point at Lincoln Lending since 2006. Uh, when all the regulations started coming down the pipe uh, after the, the bubble burst, we'll say, um, I decided we needed to do something to differentiate ourselves from everybody else. And, and when the regulation came in, what happens is cost goes up. So the banks start adding these frivolous fees uh, that they weren't charging before to cover their additional expense. We went the other way. We said, let's stop charging people fees. Let's not charge them those upfront points, origination fees, admin fees, processing fees, which generally average about eight to eleven twelve hundred dollars on every transaction yeah, that's number one yep exactly number one you're getting gouged if you're getting charged anything by your bank that is not directly buying down your interest rate you are not getting a good deal so that's the way the first way we get uh, paid the other way we get paid is actually from the banks themselves from the premium pricing of the loan just like you go to Burdines or dillard's or macy's or whatever and you buy a shirt well they bought that shirt at a cheaper price and they sold it to you at a retail price. The rates you get today are retail rates. You're, you're not going to get a true wholesale rate because then the bank wouldn't be making any money. Well, we're essentially the bank. I'm getting the rate, let's, uh, let's say, at 3.3, and instead of marking you up to 4, I'll mark you up to 3.5 to, to a little lower than the average market rate, and then return, I get paid a premium. That premium is basically our commission, and we take a less commission than most banks do, and that's how we give better rates than the bank at the same time, we don't charge you anything up front. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, you know, not to mention, you're providing value to the marketplace. I mean, you guys spend a lot of time educating people. I know you go to Kevin's events. If you guys are in the Tampa Bay area and you, and you haven't come to one of the Be a Better Agent events, doesn't Kevin doesn't, doesn't close these to the public. They're open for investors and other people that do a lot of transactions and want to learn more about the real estate business. It's free. Frank, I know you've been there as a speaker before. And I always yeah. make sure I go when you when you come because I always learn something new and and the lending piece of it is something that's always been I don't know a bit of a challenge for me. Yeah, and, and lending is complicated. It changes every day. But those uh, Baba events that Kevin has are very educational, and I, I agree. I encourage anyone to come, and you're going to learn something no matter what. Right now, when an investors buying a two to four unit multifamily property, what percentage of the income? is credited towards the buyer for, for qualifying, in other words, as income. And this this is something that's always perplexed me. I buy a fourplex, it's generating $1,800 a month in income, but I don't. they don't credit me all of that. How much, what do they, what do they credit? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And actually, the answer doesn't only apply uh, to two to four unit properties. The, the answer applies to any investment property. And I'm even going to throw something out there crazy that you, you might even know, not know about, uh, about what we could do with primary residence purchases. Um, but uh, when it comes to any type of investment purchase, let's uh, use an example. You're buying, a, like you said, a, a quadplex, okay? Uh, you're going to live in one of the units, I would assume, because you're going to buy it uh, as a primary because that's a better investment strategy. But even if you didn't, uh, let's hypothetically say you live in one of the units. The other three can be rented out. Let's say they can be rented out uh, for a total of $1,000 a month between the three. 
Fannie Mae is going to give you 75% of the market rent on that unit. So if it's gonna, if the rest of them rent for $1,000 a month, okay, they're going to give you $750 in positive income. Now, if your mortgage payment comes out to hypothetically less than the $750, they're going to give you the difference as income to cover other debts on your loan approval. That's the part that most people don't realize is that oh, okay. that income, yeah, it's not just there to offset the mortgage payment. It also goes into your qualifying debt ratio, and that's how lenders approve you. Now, where I'm going to blow your mind is, you can do this on any type of investment, but there's also a little-known guideline that when you're buying, let's say, a new primary residence, okay, and you, whether you're using it for your long-term investment strategy or you're actually going to move in it and live there for the rest of your life with your family, let's say you've got another house, uh, regardless if you have equity in that house, you're going to sell it, you're going to rent it, whatever you're going to do with your departing primary residence. That's the key word here, departing primary residence. Fannie Mae will give you 75% of the market rent on a departing primary residence. So that's a way to use leverage from the Fannie Mae guidelines to help your debt ratio, which in turn helps you qualify for the next house. Did you catch, do you follow that whole yeah, thing? Right oh, yeah, oh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> So if you've got a payment, yeah, if you've got a payment on the departing primary, that rent offsets the payment. If you don't have a payment on the departing primary, that rent goes towards your debt ratio to help you qualify for the house you're buying. So on my fourplex, oh, geez, yeah, I could technically, I mean, I love living here, so don't get me wrong, but I could technically move out of the fourplex and then get all that money credited. That's very interesting. Yeah, every, every, well, every penny up to 75% of the market rent. And the way that they determine market rent is they use an appraiser to figure out what market rent is, and then they take that and they, uh, and they usually will ask for a lease. And if you have a lease and a, a deposit check, they'll use a number higher than what the appraiser says as well. Wow, and I'm getting $900 a month from my unit, so I'm grossing, uh, what, 9 times 4 is $3,600 a month. Yeah. That's just on one property, and, of course, I've got all the other ones up uh, out of town. I've got 26 units now, but um, which that brings up an important question. You mentioned this earlier about the residency requirements. Let's say, for example, I'm told that there's some hardship. Now, by no means would I ever suggest that somebody do anything that would remotely count as, as be considered considered mortgage fraud or, or misrepresent the terms. Because if you can't be honest and ethical in this business, then you just got no business being in it, period. Uh, exactly. I, I, I believe that from day one. Uh, I've worked with people that, that, that think otherwise, and they are no longer part of my business plan. They've, they've been exited quickly. But in this case is where you have a legitimate, you can't, this residency requirement, after the one year, you don't have to notify anybody. You can just go do what you got to do after 12 months. But prior to that, well, I know that, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you move out and get caught, then in some cases the, the Fed or whoever is verifying the loan, the VA, or, they can call a loan due. Is that correct? That is 100% correct. I had a very unfortunate story um, with a past client. Now, I believe the family did everything 100% legitimately, and things truly changed for them. But let me explain how it can get bad, even if you're uh, being legitimate. So this family bought a house as a second home here in Florida. Their uh, intention was to use it only as a second home, at least from what their application and everything had. Well, it turned out that after they purchased it, they went and put it on uh, a rental website, a nationally known real estate rental website, and they advertised that property. It was about two months later. They advertised it for a 12-month rental. Somehow, some way, through the due diligence process um, that all of the lenders are doing nowadays, they found this listing online. Oops. And the first thing they did was call me. 
I originated the loan. I closed the loan, and they said, Frank, you know, we're we're thinking this is this could be mortgage fraud here. Did you close a uh, second mortgage that was really an investment property? And I went back and looked at all my records and every single document. Everything we did was done as a second home. Uh, all affidavits were done as a second home. So of course I was covered, and I and I got the back of the client, and I said, look, you know, I think something probably legitimately changed in their life. Let's find out um, what they ended up doing which was in the best-case scenario for the client, was they called their note due, and they gave them 60 days to pay off the note, or they were going to be in default. Um, basically, the lender you know, thinks that they misrepresented the way they purchased. They did have an unfortunate family event that happened, but we did have to refinance the loan and get them out of that mortgage. So in cases where these things do come up, then the, I guess the best policy is to reach out to your lender, explain the circumstances. You know, it's... Begging for forgiveness is not probably the <laughs> the right way to go here. It's more like asking. Right, for if they had just been honest, yeah, if they just been honest and, and come to us and said this, by all means, we could have called it, and I'm sure we could have modified the note, or we could have done something that would have prevented them uh, from having any trouble down the road. You're exactly right. Correct. Okay, which brings me to my my next question is, you know, a lot of Americans these days suffer from poor credit, and the credit scores. I don't know. Everybody's crying. I can't imagine too many people whose credit score doesn't at some point look like an EKG. <laughs> I know mine does. You know, they see that I've got millions of dollars worth of uh, good debt out there, mortgages and whatnot. And and sometimes I look like a criminal and sometimes I look like a hero. They look at my balance sheet. They're like, oh, well, he's got tons of equity. He's got lots of income coming in. He's in good shape. But he's got, you know, a million dollars in mortgages out there. Oh, my goodness. So the credit scores get affected as they do. I mean, my credit score has gone from the high 500s to the 800s to back down to the 600s, and it's crazy. It's all over the place. But when you have actually credit issues, blemishes, and whatnot, does your company, does Lincoln Lending offer credit repair? Yes, Lincoln Lending, we do two different things for credit-challenged individuals. Because, you know, like you're saying, everybody is a buyer eventually. Just because your credit score is down right now doesn't mean it's going to be down tomorrow. So what we do is if you have minor issues on your credit, we like to try and help you in-house. We'll tell you to remove a dispute, to pay off an account, to open up some credit, We'll give you some free credit advice and help you move forward rather quickly. If you have a larger situation going on, low 500 credits or uh, without a big down payment or some other issues, in that case, we're going to refer you to a great company called uh, National Credit Foundation. Uh, We've worked with them for a number of years, and they have a six-month program that they can usually get almost anybody qualified if you take the time to do what they say. Okay, that's that's good. That's good to know. Now, let's talk about the score for a second, and I want to point out, and you Chime in if I'm incorrect here. You go online, you go to freecreditreport.com or one of these, and they spit out a score. That score is not necessarily what a lender uses for a home to qualify you for a mortgage. Is that correct? Absolutely not. That is a soft pull. Uh, have you ever heard of a soft pull? That basically means there's no inquiry on your credit. Uh, there's no actual uh, real credit score done. It's not uh, what's called a FICA score. Uh, all lenders and banks uh, are going to use what's called a FICA score, which is a true financial institution credit report, that's the credit report score that they're going to use to qualify you. So if you're on freecreditreport.com or Credit Karma, unfortunately they're not using data uh, that is going to be the same as what an underwriter at a bank is going to use. So you have to make sure you apply, even if it's not with Lincoln Lending, you have to apply with a financial institution to get a real credit score. And generally what you see on Credit Karma is about 20 points higher, not lower, than what the bank's going to use. So it's very deceiving. We have people call and say they have 700 credit scores, and it turns around they only actually have maybe a 680 or 675. Okay, that's good. Now, uh, 
a lot of my clients and this a lot of my clients these days I'm getting picking up more and more international clients people from overseas they can't invest for cash flow anymore uh, or haven't been able to for years and they're now that since the dawn of the internet they've learned that in America you can actually invest and earn monthly cash flow which is huge overseas you buy a property you hope it appreciates over time that's the only real investing that you can do in most cases so I know you have programs that are that pertain specifically to international investors. Can you talk about your that program that you, we were just discussing on the radio the other day? Yes, yes, yes. Great, uh, great question um, the, for the foreign nationals. Now, we have special programs that don't require income verification. If you were in the business as long as Tyler and I, you'd remember the term stated income. Uh-oh. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh-oh. That's, that's the first thing that comes to mind because – in, in a lot of ways, stated income programs are what got us into the financial mess uh, that we got into in the late 2000s because people, uh, banks, not people, uh, were extending credit uh, to people who did not actually prove their income legitimately through W-2s, pay stubs, tax returns. They were allowed by the financial institutions to literally state or just make up a number for their income and qualify for a loan that way, which uh, I think we can both agree is not the greatest thing. However, it does serve a purpose in our industry. Stated income is still important for people that are self-employed or, for instance, for the foreign nationals uh, who come from another country. They, they legitimately have income from another source, potentially. Uh, but because we use different standards in America through the IRS to validate income, they don't have this. We will allow them to literally state their income. Uh, we'll you know, verify that if they have some credit through an international credit report or a bank reference letter. Um, and they will provide proof of their assets moved into an American bank account, and we'll do the loan without validating income overseas or through the United States. And uh, I'm actually going to check my guidelines real quick to see if anything, uh, let's see here, has been updated. And it looks like right now we are around 75% loan to value, which means 25% down uh, on the no-income tax return or transcript program. Uh, and that's for the investor cash flow program for foreign nationals. Um, the most they've ever have to put down would be 35%. Uh, and it's going to depend on a couple factors, the type of property and potentially uh, what your bank reference letter says and things like that. But uh, 25 to 35% down, you don't have to prove your income. You don't even have to be a citizen of this country. Matter of fact, they, they prefer it because uh, once you're a citizen of, the, uh, of, Ameri- of here in America, they uh, are going to assume that you're paying taxes and uh, have WCs <laughs> and pay stuff. Yeah. <laughs> At least they assume that. And, uh... <laughs> Who knows what's gonna how that's gonna shake out here in the uh, next couple of months, and, and nobody knows for sure. Now that leads me into your non-traditional. Now you do you do some private money lending as well. You you work with uh, investors and and you can you know fix and flippers and in some case buy and hold people that just need a short term or a bridge loan. You can do that as well. Uh, just briefly before we wrap up here, let's just hit on that a few minutes. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, what Tyler's talking about uh, is the subprime lending world that has come back now. Uh, there was here, you know, years ago, 10 years ago, um, all kinds of programs for people. And, and, and hear this, one day out of bankruptcy, one day out of foreclosure, one day out of short sale. That is 100% accurate. Whoa. You have a bankruptcy, foreclosure, and a short sale. And as long as you still can prove your income uh, and your job and you have a good down payment, and what I mean good, minimum 10%, but most of the time 20 to 30% down, um, you can still get a loan. And the reason it makes sense to get a higher interest rate loan on a subprime program or, or a uh, private money program is because we all know that right now the market's going up. It's going in the right direction, and you're generally buying these for cash flow purposes. So I want you to buy it at today's price instead of waiting a year or two until you qualify for the Fannie Mae loan. 
So you realize that appreciation and all that rental income during that one to two year time frame. And instead of waiting a year or two, paying rent or not getting the investment, not getting the appreciation, and being way behind the eight ball in a couple of years. Like those people uh, say, if I just keep saving money, eventually I'll buy a rental property. I'm going, what are you doing? <laughs> right, right. Why, why, why do that? Because that, that rental property today that's two hundred grand or a hundred grand is going to be one hundred and twenty-five or two forty in two years. Yeah. Um, so you've lost all that equity, not to mention the potential income during that period of time. Actually, now the. Go ahead. I just actually said that the other day. I was like, somebody was talking about they're they're going to wait. They're going to wait. I'm like, no, you. And I actually used your tagline. It just came because I've heard it so much. It just came out of me. <laughs> and went, you don't need a bank, man. You need a Frank. You definitely need, need to pick up the phone and call Frank. <laughs> Get, Absolutely. Put now, that money to work. Stuff that you brought up. Uh, I didn't want to lose the, the private money thing and, and tell you about that. Private money is, is is not bank money, guys. We lend private money out of our own pockets. Uh, myself and, and a bunch of uh, other institution, uh, non-institutional investors that we partner together. Um, you don't have to prove documents like uh, bank statements and pay stubs. Um, uh, you can do alternative methods like ledgers. I, I meant to say uh, not like tax returns. You can do like bank statement loans, uh, show your income that way. Um, and we don't care about the foreclosures, the, the uh, you know short sales and the other events. As long as you've got enough equity in the property or you're putting down enough money, private money can always be a good option, whether it's short-term or long-term. That's cool. That's awesome. Well, guys, that's going to wrap it up for today. And Frank, let's let's recap real quick. How can people reach you? Sure, sure. If you if you have any direct questions and you just need a quick answer, use my cell phone. Uh, send me a text message to eight one three seven six five one two three nine. Again, eight one three seven six five one two three nine by text. Um, if you would like to get me on uh, the website, it's www.lincolnlend.com. Or if you want an easy number to remember, 813-MORTGAGE, where you drop the E and we drop the C. All right, guys. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.